Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Church. <laughs> Thanks. I uh, standing at the back there, enjoying Andre's prayer so much. It felt like we'd finished preaching already. <laughs> it's great, man. Isn't it wonderful to be a being that can worship, that can worship God? We're not just like dogs or cats or something, you know, that can just go for food and cuddle with their masters and all that. But we have a dimension about us. That we can worship the living God. We are spirit beings and we can worship the living God. What a privilege to be able to see God as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? That uh, unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He cannot see the kingdom of God. So today, I'm, I know the kids are listening for the word purpose. I'm going to say the word purpose so many times today. And I'm going to try and say it a lot of times in a short space of time so that uh, I don't wear you out. Short, sharp today. I would like to introduce you as we start to one little bug in the human body, okay? There's a little bug on the slide here that's coming. And this little bug, I don't know, I'm obviously not a... um, a microbiologist or a scientist. You're going to just forgive me for my fumbles here, okay? I'm just trying to make a point with this bug, this little bacteria, okay? You can see that little guy over there. That is the bacterial flagellum. And a lot of you have heard about this little guy because he's quite famous. A lot of scientists have spoken about him. He's caused quite a stir in the scientific world in the last couple of decades. So this little bacterial flagellum is actually an amazing little creature, Let's just think about this little creature for a while. This little creature, this little bacteria, whatever the technical name is supposed to be, he has a tail. You can see he has a tail on the back of his body. And that little creature, that little bacteria inside of your body is able to spin that tail at 100,000 revs per minute. I mean, the average car you know, not talking about supercars, you know, and modified vehicles, can only rev up to about six and a half, maybe 7,000 revs. And that's flat out. When, you, when you're going flat out with your car, you're going maybe 7,000 revs on the red line. This thing can rev at 100,000 revs per minute. And what's more amazing about this thing is that not only can it spin at 100,000 revs per minute, But it's able to stop in a quarter turn. That thing that's spinning so fast, it's able to stop in a quarter turn and spin in the opposite direction at 100,000 revs per minute. Now, I don't know if that amazes you, but when I think about this, it's absolutely stunning that this little bacteria can do this. 
And one thing about this is that when his tail is spinning in one direction at 100,000 revs per minute, he's moving through liquid at a speed of about 120 kilometers per hour in liquid. And for those who don't drive, that's about the, the maximum speed you can do on a freeway in South Africa in a car. I mean, imagine if you had to jump out of a car or a taxi at 120 kilometers per hour, how fast you'd have to run in order to keep up. This little bug does that in liquid. Absolutely astounding. This little bug, the the membrane that surrounds him is so soft that, you know, it's almost like you could just touch it and it could disintegrate. But it can travel at that speed through liquid with its tail spinning at 100,000 revs per minute. And it's an absolutely astounding design. Scientists have been looking at this thing and saying, this is unbelievable. The design of this thing is unbelievable. In fact, it is one of the bacteria that scientists have been studying in the last decades that has convinced some scientists against the theory of evolution. They've looked at this and they've thought, no ways. No ways. This thing is so intricately designed, it's impossible that this little bug can have just formed by chance. It just appeared, you know, somehow. Okay, so this little bacteria, um, if we just go back a couple of slides, you'll, you'll notice this guy as he floats in the water there, as he swims in the water, this tail is attached to his body. As it goes into the body there, you can see it's got a thing called a hook on the end of the tail. So it's a long tail, and then the end of the tail where it attaches to his body, it's got a thing called a hook. And inside of that hook where it goes into the body, on the next slide you'll see how it attaches on the inside. It's got this little thing called, you can see that's the hook, the thin part on the front. And as it goes into the body on the next slide, you'll see a little thing called the molecular motor. That's the motor that turns. That's the thing there. That's, can you believe that motor appears in every single one of these bacteria in your body? It's, it's been called the most efficient motor in the universe. Still today, with all of our technology, human beings, we can't make a motor that is as, as efficient as this. 100,000 revs, spinning, and next thing, stop, and the other way. And you're like, <laughs> it defies. I spoke to an engineer about this yesterday, and he said to me, it's unbelievable that that thing doesn't fatigue and break, you know, with those kind of, that kind of performance. And I agree, it's unreal. But there's something else about this little bacteria. And that is that you take these bacteria, you can fit about half a million of these things on the head of a pin. Half, this is not a big thing. This is a thing so small you can't even see it with your eye. This design, can you believe it? Half a million on the head of a pin. And of course, he's not the smallest bacteria. He's just one of the bacteria in your body. If we had to count, scientists estimate there's approximately 40 trillion microbes, not these, but microbes in general, little bugs like this, in your body in order to sustain life. These microbes need to reproduce every 12 hours. This thing's only got a lifespan of about 12 hours. He appears, he lives on average about 12 hours, and then he's gone. God puts so much intricate design 
into this one tiny little thing. It's an absolute wonder in the created world. And he's there and he's gone in 12 hours. Without these astounding bacteria, human life could not continue. You can't exist if you don't have these little bugs, these trillions of little bugs, bacteria of all sorts in your body. Isn't that amazing? There's another little picture I think I had here. One of the amazing things about these little bacteria is that the way they spin their tails, and this is, this is the whole point of my sermon today, so don't miss this, okay? The way they spin their tails, it's not just a random spinning and then like, hey, I think I'm going to go that way. That, there's the picture. Uh, it's not just like, hey, I think I'm going to go there now. Oh, I think I'm going to go there. This tail is controlled by the concentration of nutrients in the fluid that this bug, this bacteria lives in. So as this bacteria is swimming through the fluids, he notices that there's a higher concentration of nutrients on the right. And his tail just pushes him with exact precision to the highest concentration of nutrients inside of the fluid. And if he comes across a nutrient or some substance in the fluid that he doesn't like, it repels him and it spins his tail in the opposite direction. And he goes, he's constantly looking for the highest concentration of nutrients in the fluid that he's spinning in. Why? He has a purpose. This tiny little thing that you can't even see with your eye, he has a purpose through his whole lifespan of 12 hours average. He just goes and goes and goes, spinning his tail flat out, 100,000 revs, oh, no, that way, that way, that way, that way, getting nutrients, taking your food to places where it must be, um, taking waste products where they shouldn't come from, you know, where they shouldn't be in your body. This one microbiologist, uh, her name is uh, Anne McZulak. I don't know if anyone's heard of her. I never heard of her, but now you have. She said, as long as humans can't live without carbon, nitrogen, protection from disease, and the ability to fully digest food, they can't live without bacteria. In other words, every function in your body is dependent on these little things having a purpose and fulfilling their purpose. They go on a mission from the time that their cells divide and poof, there's a new one. He has a mission and he goes and he goes and he goes until he dies on a mission. He doesn't stop because he has a purpose. Where did that purpose come from? Isn't it amazing? That, isn't it lucky? You know, we joke in our family, isn't this lucky? Of course, I don't believe in luck. I'm just saying that with my tongue in cheek because I know God designed this bug. Isn't it amazing that this thing just appears... And he fulfills his purpose his whole life and then he dies. It's done. And obviously God has given this tiny little thing, this one of 40 trillion bugs in your body a purpose. And if that little bug doesn't fulfill his purpose, you die. We just say, wow, God, thank you. Thank you for giving that bug a purpose in my body. All 40 trillion of them. Thank you for causing them to work the, the, the way they work so that I can just keep living every day. I mean, every 12 hours, God has got to replenish these bugs so that I can keep living. These bacteria. I say, whew, what an amazing thing God has to do in order to keep me alive every day. God has purpose. 
He has a purpose in these bugs to cause them to do what they do. Why? Because he has a purpose to keep me alive for a purpose. I'm living in this world. God has an intention for me as a human being. And beyond that, if we scale out all the way from these trillions of bacteria, we scale out all the way to the individual. God has a purpose for this individual. We scale all the way out and we see that God has an intention, as Andre was saying, for the church, the whole church, the body of Christ. God has an intention for us. You can see the purpose, the intention, coming all the way from the tiniest bacteria right into the macrocosm. Where you see, even for the church, God had to create a universe. And that universe didn't always exist. God existed forever. And in the mind of God was this glorious scheme that He would have have a bride for His Son. And in order to do that, He had to create a universe. And in that universe, He had to create all of His people in the, the right times in which they lived. And each individual, in order for that individual to survive, he had to create all of these, the the millions and trillions of little things that it took the mind of God to design in order just to keep you alive so God's purpose can be fulfilled. It's complex. It's amazing. It's astounding. I don't know if if I made my point. I I don't think I need to keep emphasizing this. You get the point. This little bacteria is astounding. And the one thing I'm trying to point out is that it has a purpose, and that purpose extends all the way to God's great macrocosm. Amazing. You've got to agree with me. This is amazing, eh? Now, all I want to do today is I want to speak something about God's purpose. Obviously, that's my point here, isn't it? I want to open up Ephesians chapter 1, and I would like to just show God's purpose, the purpose of God the Father. Something of the purpose of God the Son. Something of the purpose of God the Holy Spirit. And I would like to just show some of the things that Paul says, how this whole purpose applies to us. What Paul is begging God to do for us, for you and I, for churches, obviously the believers in Ephesus, but by extension you and I as members of the body of Christ. When God plans the church, The whole triune God is involved, as you can see. The whole triune God is involved in the work of planning the church. It's amazing to me to think that without that bacterial flagellum we were looking at, there'd be no church. (laughs) When those things have to be there in order for us to be here. And you can just sit here and say, thank God for those things. Thank God for your design. Thank you that the entire trinity took part in the plan to produce us, the church, right here today, this local church. So I want to speak, firstly, about God the Father, God's planning, how God planned this whole thing. So God the Father, Paul begins in Ephesians 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Praise be, he says in verse 3, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So he begins by speaking about the planning and the purpose and the intention of God by saying, church, let's praise God. 
Praise God. Wow. There's something glorious going on here that we haven't seen. And now we're busy unfolding something of God's purpose. And even having seen this one little bacteria today, we can say, praise God, man. Praise God. This is an intricate, complex thing. And we can begin to worship. You can worship even in your seat right now. You can have this moment where you look at God and say, thank you, God. I praise you, God, because this is actually an astounding plan, an astounding purpose that you've brought into being. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What are those blessings? I mean, I've thought about this verse a lot, and I've thought about all of the things that Jesus Christ accomplished And all of the blessings that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has earned, all of those blessings, all of the honor, all of the blessing that Christ has earned becomes mine in the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father gives that to me. But specifically here, Paul points out two things. He says, we praise God for choosing us as individuals. He chose His people. For He chose us, verse 4, in Him. Before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. You might sit here and think, eh, God chose me. Yeah, well, we all know that. But I don't know if you've ever, like, been in bed at night when all the noise of the world is quietened down and you're just chilling and you think about, okay, God chose me. What would, have been, what would it have been like if God didn't choose me? What if I, he chose the person next to me and not me? Sometimes I think about that. I think of myself passing into a lost eternity after a wasted, miserable life. And I think about what what the experience would be like forever and ever and ever. And I think to myself, this is absolutely terrible. And suddenly the one thought that comes back to me is, God, thank you, man. Thank you above all things in this world for choosing me to be one of your treasured possessions for the rest of eternity. For we praise God, for He chose His people, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Why? With a purpose. God doesn't just pick me and say, oh, that's nice. He chooses me with a purpose, to be. He chose us in in Him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. God wants to look upon a human being who is holy and blameless And that is me. God is going to make me like that. In the ages of glory, God is going to find pleasure in looking at Alan and saying, I like you because you're holy and blameless. In spite of who I am. In spite of my sinfulness. In spite of my depravity. Because of what Jesus has done, God has this wonderful purpose that he can look at me and he can find pleasure in me. Why else do we praise God? In verses 5 and 6, he says, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Adopted. Know how many times when I'm speaking with people in counseling who struggle with assurance of salvation, and if you struggle with assurance of salvation, you're you're not the odd one out. So many Christians struggle with assurance of salvation. And one of the things I ask people is, if you've been adopted, if you, something's happened and somebody's brought you into his family, 
Have, have you ever heard of, of a, a court procedure where somebody has gone into a court and said, I want to unadopt this person? You know, I, I'm going to unadopt. I'm going to reverse the adoption process. I mean, nobody's heard of that. It's bizarre. When parents move to adopt somebody, it's, it's a thing for keeps. You are going to be in our family. You're going to take on our surname. We're going to call you son or daughter. You're going to be my son. You're going to be my daughter. And that's for good. I'm taking you into my family. And what a wonderful thing. When God adopts you as his people, there's no way out. What a, what a wonderful reality. God has purpose to have you as a son or daughter in his family. And not only, not only was this an amazing adoption, but it's an adoption in love. In love he predestined us. The predestination sometimes has a sort of negative connotation. Some people really get aggressive when we talk about God choosing. I'm surprised. I think it's the most wonderful thing in the world. That God chose me because I'm totally depraved. I would never have chosen God. What an amazing thing. He does this in love. So I can look at this. And if I have an, an attitude against God for choosing, I can say, well, it was done in love. It's not this horrible, vindictive, um, arbitrary type of thing. It's a loving thing that God did when he chose me to be adopted as his son. And notice also in verse 5, he this is a purposeful act of God that brings God pleasure. Imagine that. I mean, if you want to find pleasure, what do you do? I was talking to a lady at the shop yesterday when I went to go and buy some things. You know, I was buying bananas, of course. <laughs> this lady knows I always buy bananas at that shop. So she was like, ah, I see you bought your bananas again. So I said, yeah. And then I asked her, what's your favorite food? What do you like eating? And she, she didn't know. She was just staring around and said, ah, and you know what it came down to? Pup, of course. So I said, pup, is that what you eat for pleasure? I mean, I know people eat that because, you know, because it keeps you going and you like it. But is that, you know, if you can think of the best meal, and she, was, she wanted to eat pup. So, of course, Hope was with me, and we suggested she put some cheese in her pup, you know, to make it better. And she's like, cheese in the pup. <laughs> she couldn't believe it. But imagine God. You say to God, God, God Almighty, what would bring you pleasure? Hey? What would bring God pleasure? I mean, God has an infinite mind. What kind of things can God think up to bring him pleasure? Anything. He's got no, no limit on resources. God, what would bring you pleasure? Alan, it would bring me pleasure to choose you, to adopt you, to make you holy and blameless in my sight. Because I love you. God, does that bring you pleasure? Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. What an awesome reality, man. That, that, that brings God pleasure. It's not a grumpy God who's coming to me and drawing me in like, oh, yeah, this guy, I mean, I know he's a loser, but, you know, I'm a God of love and I'm patient, so I guess I have to put up with him. It brings God pleasure to bring me into such a close relationship. God has purpose for me. Isn't God's purpose wonderful? Absolutely wonderful. And you'll notice in verse 5 also, this love, this grace that God has poured out on us, 
is not just an ordinary grace, uh, verse 6 there, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. God pours this out. A wonderful, extravagant kind of grace that God has poured out. So that's something of God the Father. That's just a touch of what Paul mentions about God the Father and His purpose and His desire and His intention. So you see this little bacterial flagellum flying around, moving at at huge speeds inside of your body. And he has a purpose, and you just scale that back, scale that back all the way to the great creator of those little bugs. And in him you see the same kind of purpose. And what's his purpose? His purpose is I'm drawing this one, I'm drawing that one, I'm drawing that one so they can be mine, my personal possessions, my treasures forever. That's God's purpose. Like that bug is going for the highest concentration of nutrients in the liquid. It's there. That'll be mine. That'll be mine. That'll be that way. That way. That way. That way. That way. You can just see him going all the time. And you say, it's amazing. The purpose. The design. Let's talk about the sun. The sun's planning. The sun's purpose. Here in Ephesians chapter 1. From verses 7 to 12. If you, You'll notice some of the things that the sun does some of the, the aspects of the sun's purposeful planning and, and functioning. You'll notice that the first thing that the sun does, the sun accomplishes the plan of the Father. The plan the Father plans, the sun accomplishes the plan of the Father. I know you've heard these things before, but what I'm trying to do today, if, if it hasn't become clear, is I'm just trying to motivate you. I'm trying to lift your eyes so that you can see the glory of these things, so you can feel it. As you're sitting in your seat, I'm hoping that while I'm speaking, God, by His Spirit, is lifting your heart, and you're looking at God, and you're saying, actually, God, now that I think about this, this is amazing. I'm hoping that your mind is like the the mind of a child in a sweet shop, seeing all of the colors and everything, and running from one to the other, and saying, "This this is actually amazing. You know, look at these big marshmallows over here, you know. I'm hoping you're seeing some of the beauty of what God is doing. Christ pays the redemption price. There was a massive debt that I owed. God has chosen me. He wants me to be holy and blameless in His sight. He's the adopting God. He's the God of love. He's the God who does that because of pleasure. But He can't do that because I owe a massive debt. And the Father comes to His Son and He says, Son, will you please purchase Alan for me. And the son says, yes, yes, I'll go and buy him. And the father says, I'm afraid there's, there's a huge debt. This guy is depraved. This guy is so sick with sin. The debt is huge. My son, you're going to have to die. This guy's sin is so bad, you're going to have to die in order to rectify this problem. And the son says, yes, Father, I'm willing to die. I'm even willing to die for Alan so that you can have the pleasure of having him in your presence forever and ever. What an amazing thing. Do you know anybody like that who would do that for you? Any of your friends, you go to them and say, I've got such a debt, you have to die in order to free me from this debt. Please, will you do that? How many friends do you have that will do that for you? But God, The glorious God plans this. And the son says, yes, Father, this is a great objective. I love your purpose. It's so beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. I want to do it. I'm in. And the son comes. And he looks at the father and he says, here I am. I've come to do your will. Oh, God. 
And he comes into the world, the God, the Father prepares a body for him. He comes into the world as this tiny baby. And he lives his life as me. And he goes to the cross and he sheds his blood as me. And the father looks at that blood sacrifice and he looks at that beautiful life. A life lived from the purpose of God. I'm doing this because there's a plan. There's a purpose. There's an intention in my father's mind and I love it. I'm, I'm on board. And the son goes all the way through all of that living in this world and dying on the cross. And you'll notice in verse 7, in Ephesians 1, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, the blood of Jesus Christ. He bled. He did this through blood and agony and tears and loud cries, according to Hebrews 5. And he purchased, he bought me. In that agonizing way. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Riches of God's grace. He says, which he lavished. Which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and understanding. What does it mean to lavish something on somebody? I know sometimes these words are not clear. We speak so many different languages in this church. But to lavish some, something on somebody is to give somebody something that is extravagant. It's not just like when somebody comes to you and says, hey, can I have two rand? I'm two rand short for the taxi. And you dig in your pockets and you say, yeah, I think I might have a two rand here somewhere. And let's say you, you've just sold a car or something and you've got 50,000 rand in your pocket. Let's just fantasize about this and you say here i've got some money for you and the guy's like what Fifty thousand rand i just wanted two rand he's not going to say no of course but that's what it is to lavish something on somebody is to give not just what the person needs but more and more and more and more until they're like wow i can't believe it and this is what god has done he has lavished his love on his people He's poured out his goodness. That's God's purpose. He wants to bless. He moves out toward other people to share of himself with other people. What a wonderful thing. In him we have redemption through Jesus Christ. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Do you see God as a lavishing God? Or do you see God as a grumpy old man? Who's just, you've got to pray and pray and pray and he might give you one little thing, like a, an old miser. That's not the God of the Bible. God's purpose is to pour out more and more and more. We can see that here. What a wonderful beauty. And he has revealed in verse 9 the mystery of his will or his purpose. Why? Why did God even open the door so that we can look into this? Why do we even have these fancy microscopes that can even identify a bacterial flagellum? Why is it that we have written text, the Word of God, on an actual page so that we can look? Why? 
And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. Because <laughs> God loves to see you seeing these things and saying, wow, what a God. <laughs> what a glorious God, man. I don't know. I get goosebumps sometimes. With just these moments when I think about the glory of God. I think of the, about the intricacy, the color, the complexity, the variety in God's intention for you and I. His purpose. Absolutely wonderful. I want to tell you, there's nothing that motivates me in the world more than this, understanding who God is and His purpose for me. That I have a purpose in life. If that little black bacterial flagellum has a purpose in his 12-hour lifespan, how much more a being made in the image of God, me and you? So He reveals the mystery of His will to us. Because it brings him pleasure to bring us into this so we can enjoy it. So we can see it and love it. And you'll notice that if you move on into verse 10 there, in Ephesians 1, he says, well, just verse 9 for connection because it's half a sentence there. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. How many things are included in God's purpose here? What, what is excluded from the term all things? I know there's a movie coming to mind. You know, if it's, if it's a thing, then yes. <laughs> you know, uh, what about this? What about that? What about that? Yes, if it's a thing, it fits under the term all. Does a bacterial flagellum fit under God's purpose where he's going to draw all of these things into conformity under one head? Yes. Every tiny little detail. Everything. It's amazing how practically we walk around just disbelieving that this thing or that thing or that thing is inside of God's purpose because it doesn't seem that way. I mean, viruses in your body. There's a war going on inside among these microbes in your body. And those are all according to God's purpose. God is going to bring all things together in heaven and on earth under one head, Christ Jesus. What a glorious reality. God has purpose. We're not just living day to day pointlessly going on from one wheel to the next, from one work day to the next, from one transit to one place to the other to the next. We're not just mindless beings walking day after day. There's purpose in all of this. What a wonderful reality. I wish, I wish we could see that purpose more clearly, don't you? And he says there in verse 11, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Romans 8, of course, you notice that there's going to be this great unveiling one day. God is going to pull the veil off. You know, his people, believers, are living shoulder to shoulder with masses and masses of people in this world. And the day is going to come when God is going to have a big unveiling. 
And as you stand there as a believer in the Lord Jesus, and as I stand there as a believer in the Lord Jesus, when that veil comes off, when God unveils His people, the sons of God, every single eye in the universe is going to be stunned. Look what God made out of this loser. What a glorious being God has made out of Alan. I I can't wait for it, man. I can't wait to be a glorious being like the great Lord Jesus Christ is a glorious being. Glorious humanity, shining like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. And we are going to be, verse 12 says, for the praise of His glory. Everybody's going to look at the glory of the saints. And they're going to say, praise God. What a glorious purpose you've got, God. God, you thought up something so amazing. I wish we'd had that in our minds as we're walking day by day in this world. I wish we'd seen all of this glory ahead of time and lived as if it was true that this was coming. All the way from the bacterial flagellum to God's great eternal scheme where his people stand shining like the sun in his presence and the entire universe is shouting glory to God because of us, because of what we look like, because of what God has made us to be. So the sun purchased this. What a glorious thing that the Father plans this all. And it's going to come at a huge cost. There's a huge budget attached. And the son comes in and he says, Father, I'm willing to pay the cost. And he comes in and and blood is squeezed out of him. And the son dies in our place and he purchases us. There's no debt left. And the Father can glorify us. He can raise us up into a place of glory. But how is this going to happen now that the Father has planned and the Son has purchased, he's he's footed the bill, if you might say, for this. How is this actually going to contact you and me? How is it going to come to me as I'm going about my daily life? How am I going to become aware of all of these things? How is my mind going to be open to the reality of God's great purpose? It's going to happen by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a glorious being, a glorious third member of the the Trinity who, who applies the work that Christ accomplished. He comes, yes, the, the debt has been settled, and the Holy Spirit comes to me as an individual in this world, and he comes, as it were, to tap on my shoulder and say, Hey, Alan, I just want to tell you that God has purchased your soul forever. You belong to God. You've been adopted by God. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Can you believe this? God wants me as his son. <laughs> God wants me, like I've said before, in his personal space forever and enjoy it. The Holy Spirit comes and he, pli- he applies it. Verse 13, Paul goes on, he says, And you speaking to the believers in Ephesus, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You're sitting there, you're hearing a message such as this one today, and you're thinking, ha, this is new, this is interesting. Wow, God is actually purchasing people by the blood of Christ, and He's doing that through the work of the Holy Spirit. When you're sitting in your seat, and you're thinking, oh, when's this guy going to finish? And suddenly, bah! The Holy Spirit hits your heart and you suddenly see things that you've never seen before. And you suddenly realize, hey, this God that this this Altopi is talking about is real. 
This is real, man. There's a real person here. I can interact with this God. I can speak to this God straight from my spirit in my seat. And I can say, God, have mercy on me and forgive me for my sins. And that's exactly what happened to those guys in Ephesus. And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What a, what a glorious moment that is for every true believer, isn't it? Suddenly you hear the truth and you realize this is all true. Every single word of it. All things are going to come together in one, under one head and that head is Jesus Christ and I'm part of that. What a wonderful, wonderful reality that is. And not only that, but in the next verse, in verse 14, uh, second half of verse 13, he says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This great third member of the Trinity, it's the Father planning, and the Father saying to the Son, My son, this is great cost. And the Son says, Yes, Father, I want to pay that cost. And then the Spirit comes, and the Father is saying, Somebody's got to apply this. Somebody's actually got to go and take up residence in that individual and make that one individual safe right throughout the journey of life until that individual is received into glory with me. And the Holy Spirit says, yes, I will take up residence in Alan. I will go and take up, in spite of the fact that he's so depraved, I will live in him. I will experience all of the things that he's experiencing being in him, residing in him. I will endure what it is to be inside a sinful person. And I will I'll do that. I will take him all the way through to the end. I will preserve him to the point where you glorify him. What a glorious and wonderful thing that God, the Holy Spirit, even though I'm even ashamed of my own sinfulness, God, the Holy Spirit, is residing inside of me. That is a mystery beyond all mysteries. There's people in this world that you don't even want to know about what you do in secret. But God the Holy Spirit is willing to reside in me and know all of that stuff and even stuff that I'm not aware of. And he's willing to preserve me even though I don't deserve a single thing throughout my life. And he carries me. And he transforms me bit by bit. And he makes me aware of sin bit by bit. And he takes me all the way to the point where he makes out of me a being. Like Ephesians chapter 4, later on he says... Um, Put on uh, righteous, um, to be made like God in true righteousness and holiness. He makes me a being like God in true righteousness and holiness. Imagine me being like God. Unbelievable reality. But the Holy Spirit has committed himself to making me like that. I don't know if that brings you joy, man. Your ragged, tattered body and soul. So conscious of failure and weakness in every area of your life. God, imagine God, the Holy Spirit, coming in and committing himself to making you holy. Like, God, I'm so depraved that it is going to take God to make me holy. I'm like, thank God that he's actually doing that. What an amazing encouragement that is for us today. God receives your into his presence, your glorified and tired and worn body and spirit. What a moment that's going to be. So what are we going to do until then? 
Now we've seen the glorious purpose of the Father. We've seen the wonderful cost that the Son went to in order to purchase you bleeding and dying. We've seen the Holy Spirit taking this further and saying, Yes, I will reside in this depraved sinner until I take him to the point of full glory. What does Paul pray? Why, um, what does Paul have in his mind when he's sharing these things with us in Ephesians 1? From verse 14, he said, speaking of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory again. In verse 15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks to God for you, remembering you in my prayers. And Paul is excited. Paul sees the the purpose of God. He sees God taking people and drawing them up into glory incrementally throughout their lives. And he's taking them into an eternity that just cannot be described because it's so wonderful. And Paul hears, ah, God's doing this in Ephesus right now. God's doing this in Corinth. God's doing this in Philippi, etc., etc. Paul is so excited, like, wow, God is doing a work in Ephesus. And he begins to pray for these people. He's like, God, please help them. What is he praying? If Paul was here, what would he be praying for you as you sit in your seat? What is, what is the big prayer of Paul? I think we know what Paul is praying. One, God is constantly, Paul thanks God for constantly bringing people into this glorious scheme of moving love. God is bringing individual after individual to see God. And to understand God's purpose. I mean, even that bacterial flagella lives according to God's purpose. How much more should we, as beings made in the image of God, who can understand spiritual things and see spiritual realities, how much more should we be people who say, I have a purpose? If that little bug can do it, how much more can a being like me do it? Live according to purpose. And what Paul is doing is he's thanking God. He's saying, Wow, I've not stopped, verse 16, not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, I keep asking, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. God, please open their eyes. God, help them to see. God, help them to see the color and the glory and the variety The majesty, the beauty, the landscape, all of the things about God's glorious purpose so that you'll look and you'll say, wow, this is so glorious. How does this change the way I live my life? What does that mean about the way I spend the moments and hours in this particular day? I don't know what you think, but that's the question that comes to me. If I've been drawn up into this glorious purpose, I don't want to live my life pushing off in some other direction. Imagine this bacterial flagellum. Like, ah, no, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. Maybe he decided to take a day of leave. What would happen if all the microbes went on leave in your body for a day or decided, you know, to do something else? You'd die. You'd be dead if all of your microbes just decided they're going on leave. And for us, it seems that we can like, yeah, we know God's got a purpose, but ah, it doesn't really, I mean, it's all going to happen anyway. It doesn't really matter if I invest in this personally. It does matter. 
That's what Paul is doing. He's like, please God, please. He keeps asking God to help us to understand this. Why? So that we can fulfill our purpose. Like the little bug. I'm hoping that as the kids who are listening to this, I know they're going to draw a picture. Hey kids, you're drawing a picture, right? Of this sermon. What are you drawing? (laughs) I'm guessing it's the bug, hey? Guessing it's the little bacterial flagellum. I've got, Hope drew me a nice picture at the end, you'll see, of the bacterial flagellum. So you can understand. But if he can do it, if that little bug, that little bacteria can just keep going, full on, full on purpose, doing what he's made to do, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just keep going? And that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, how do, you, how do you keep going? You see this. You see the thing. You think about it. You think about God's glorious purpose, the plan, the purpose of the Father, the purpose of the Son, the purpose of the Spirit. He's, the whole of God is drawing you up into something. And it's like, open your eyes, man. Just look around and see this and say, hey, I've got purpose. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I'm begging God to do for me and for us in this room here. He asks God for a wonderful enlightenment in your heart so that you can know a couple of things particularly that motivate you. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That God will fill you with light as if you can say, wow, I can see. Enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I mean, this world presses you into a place of hopelessness, doesn't it? I mean, you look at your budget, you look at how much things cost, and you say, at this rate, my whole life is going to be a mess because I I can't afford the things I'd really like to buy. Every month there's a problem. Every month I've got to pay, pay, pay on stuff. The money's just gone, 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 and, and we're just not moving forward here. But Paul is saying, God... In spite of all of these things, please help these people to see the hope to which you have called them. God has purpose. He has a purpose to pull you into a hope that you cannot contain. Imagine standing there when you see Jesus for the first time and suddenly everything becomes true. I think probably the first thing I'm going to think is I wish I had been able to see more of this while I was living in this world. I wish that I'd lived with the full reality of this in my heart and in my mind. I wish that I'd lived with more purpose. I wish that I'd been more like that little bug. Just going all the time. Dulcherich, you know. Afrikaans has got some cool words, eh? Focused on a goal. Fixed on a a specific uh, intention throughout my day. That's what Paul's praying for. Wonderful enlightenment. So you can see the hope that God has called you to. A hope that you can deliberately anticipate. Keep moving. Keep today saying, how will this, how will seeing all of this glory, all of this purpose, right down to the bacterial flagellum, how will this change the way that I react with the people around me on this day? God, please help me to see that. Help me to understand that. Help me to see it as a practical reality. That your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, verse 18. Then he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. God has called you to 
rich, glorious inheritance. And then he says, in the saints. And what does that mean? What is a glorious inheritance in the saints? He's called you to that. I had to think about that. And I think he's probably speaking without trying to make this more complicated than it has to be. I think he's just speaking about the fact that it's a glorious and rich inheritance that you are not only going to enjoy objectively as an actual state in which you come, but there's going to be subjective, you know, a feeling inside of you that's going to help you to enjoy it to the full. You know, Ecclesiastes speaks about how sad it is when a person becomes super rich, but he doesn't have the ability to enjoy his riches. Imagine how sad that, imagine being a grumpy rich person, hey? You've got like 50 billion rand in the bank and someone says, yo, you've got a lot of money. You say, yeah, right, hey, I've got to pay so much tax and there's so many people asking for money all the time. Like, yeah, I can't enjoy it. Imagine being like that. Imagine being a grouch when you've got, so what a, what a wonderful thing that God is going to bring you into the riches of God himself, like Piper says, God is the gospel. He's giving you himself. And imagine coming into that and having the capacity to enjoy it all. What a wonderful thing. He said, God, I want that. I want that now, actually. I want it right now. I want to enjoy all of the blessings that you have for me. I want to see them. I want to be able to unwrap these gifts and say, wow, God, are all these the things that you have for me? You've bought these for me. And I want that to move me on a daily basis. And I'm hoping that that's your prayer with Paul. He's praying these things. He's praying that this will be you. And what makes this even more wonderful, (laughs) absolutely glorious, is that in verse 19 he says, this is his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and power, uh, authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but in the age to come. The Spirit of God is working with massive power in your heart. There's no shortage of power. And that is why Paul is praying that you will be able to see that, to be able to appreciate it with wonder. The glorious thing is that the the Holy Spirit guarantees this. He guarantees that God is going to keep working in your heart. He guarantees that God is going to save you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He guarantees that you're going to come into those riches. He guarantees that you're going to come into that glorious hope. He guarantees that you're going to enjoy it forever. Suffering in this world is absolutely worth it, if those are guarantees. Verse 22, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Of course, I've, I've looked at a huge chapter today. I mean, Ephesians 1. I mean, who is stupid enough to try and preach the whole of Ephesians 1 in one sermon? Especially if I'm not trying to preached a long time hey but let me just end off with a couple of short comments here and the first thing is that you and I we obviously do struggle to see this don't we every day you know we struggle we just we can be real with each other here we struggle to see these glorious riches don't we does the bacterial flagellum have a problem no of course he just keeps going but we struggle no we struggle to have 
to be motivated by these riches. And sadly, in our lives, isn't it very, very sad that our struggle becomes the big thing for us rather than these glorious truths? And that's why Paul is praying for you. Paul is praying that your struggles will not be something bigger than that you have these glorious truths inside of your struggle. You have these resources inside of your struggle. How sad it is. How unlike God you and I can be in this world. How sad it is when God fixes his whole being, the whole trinity onto a purpose and he fulfills that function, he fulfills that purpose. He goes out and does it. And I, I can be a person or maybe you. You can be a person in this world who will say to somebody on the phone, yeah, I'll, I'll see you there at 3 o'clock. But in your mind, all you're thinking is, ah, that's not important. I don't think I'm going to go. And imagine God did that. Imagine God said, yeah, I'm, I've planned this big thing for you guys. But, you know, I know you're all excited, but I've decided not to do it anymore. Absolutely terrible, man. Imagine God the Son. The Father plans this whole thing. And the Son says to the Father, Yes, yes, Father, I'll go and bleed and die. I'll go and live a whole life as Alan. I'll go and I'll die on the cross and shed my blood for him. And then the time comes for Jesus to do that. And he says, Ah, no, it's not that important. I mean, it's just Alan. It's not that important. And he doesn't do it. Imagine God the Father plans and God the Son purchases and, and God the Father says to God the Holy Spirit, please go and live in this guy. I mean, he's, yeah, it's, it's going to be bad, but please go live in this guy and keep him safe until we bring him to glory. And the Spirit says, yes, Father, I'll do that. I'll do that. And then when the time comes when I'm born and when I'm regenerated, the Holy Spirit says, ah, I, think he, I think he can wing it by himself. Imagine how ungodlike it is for me to commit to something and, and not to do it. And the sad thing is that that happens in our relationships all the time, doesn't it? Each one of us is a father or a mother or a grandfather or a grandmother or a son or a daughter or a nephew or a cousin or an aunt or an uncle or whatever, however you fit into your family structure in multiple ways. We all have so many people. If I can truly see the glories that God has engineered, this entire created universe, all things are engineered in order to bring about God's purpose. If I can see that, obviously I want to say if I'm a father, I want to conduct myself as a godly father because that's my purpose. Just like that little bacterial flagellum, I want to just go and do the thing that I was designed to do. Because it's a calamity not to do that. It's such a terrible waste of time and gift and human life. Lack of intention in marriage relationships. How sad, man. In, in marriage counseling, so often, man, people come to me with marriage problems. And, and one of the biggest problems is just a simple lack of intention towards somebody else. It's out of sync with the entire universe that people can be married. An institution in the Bible 
that God designed for human beings so that you can be specifically intentional towards somebody else. I choose to love you until I die. And in marriage, there's, there's not enough intention just to do one simple act of kindness to some, this other person that you've pledged yourself until death to. How sad. And that's why Paul is praying. He doesn't stop. He says, please, God, help these people to understand these glorious things so that in their marriage relationships they can see how this purpose affects the way that they love each other. Help them to see the riches, the hope, the glory that we are on the winning side. We haven't lost. The Spirit of God is in me. He's enabling me to love you. I think it's so sad after we've seen these glories to see the contrast in our own lives. And all I'm doing today is I'm, I'm highlighting this, showing you how Paul has prayed so that you can do exactly what Paul is doing and say, God, please, please, God, even right here in my seat, like Andre said just now, don't let me walk out of this place unchanged. Help me right now as a husband or a wife or a daughter or a son or a mother or a father, however, even an employer or an employee, Help me to see how this whole purpose, like that little bug moving directionally, every little thing going to the point where he's serving his purpose. Help me to see how the purpose of God drives me in this particular situation, in this particular relationship. Help me to be lavish and loving and generous and gracious like God is all of those things. If you struggle with this, if you struggle to see, I understand that. I suggest... You study this chapter. Go home and open this chapter again. Study it. If you can't work it out, find yourself a godly person in this church, somebody who loves it, somebody who's obviously driven by these things. And you say to them, help me to see it. You know, how do you see this stuff? How do you get this from this text? Sit down with somebody who's obviously in love with it and learn from them. Go in, into an accountability relationship with somebody that is older and wiser than you and, and get them to help you. Help you to see. If that's not enough, you're welcome to come for some counseling. I love doing this. I absolutely love just opening the Word of God and saying, hey, do you see this? This is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> so if you want some of that, you're welcome to come for counseling. And my schedule is quite quiet for the next month, so this, it's wide open. Hey, No excuses. So as a, just as a conclusion, after we've seen this tiny little bacterial flagellum, and we've seen how purpose-driven he is. And he's purpose-driven because God is purpose-driven. He designed that thing for a purpose. And God designed that thing for a purpose because he has a purpose for me. I need that thing in order to survive. God has designed for me to survive because I'm a part of the body of Christ. And he sustains the body of Christ. In order for the body of Christ to exist, God had to make a universe. God had to plan a universe. God had to send his son into this world to pay for that. And God the Holy Spirit has to come in and live in me and take over my life because I'm incapable of doing it myself. So we can say from the microscopic bacterial flagellum to the eternal glory of God in the church, God has intentional purpose. God the Father planned this glorious intention for the church. The Son of God accomplished what the Father required. God the Holy Spirit applies what the Son accomplished. Everything in creation, like the bacterial flagellum, 
relentlessly serves its God-given purpose in spite of sin. But God has made his purpose personal to you. He wants you to serve his purpose daily by seeing it and continually uh, falling in love with it. He He wants your life to be a continual act of worship because such a life is rewarded by an eternity of worship. Ask God to make this your experience right now.